Hey everybody, Sam Mallinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star. I am grateful for you listening to the 52nd episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. 52, as we all know, it's the number of game-winning hits Salvador Perez has in the last week. I haven't double-checked that number, maybe I'm off by a couple, but I've been doing this job a long time and I think my feel for these things is pretty good. Anyway, the goal, as always, is to be worth your time. This week, we will do that with questions about sports and politics, the Chiefs draft, a weird story about the Royals availability on TV and a listener named Matt completely bust me on a trick we use on this show that I was hoping to keep getting away with. The bonus segment will be about Tyron Matthew with audio of a couple specific things he said this week that I believe illustrate everything you need to know about this man as a football player anyway. Okay, uh, the lead here at the risk of being too obvious is just about the first place Kansas City Royals. Okay, uh, the Star is running a special promotion for the Sports Pass right now. A dollar a month for three months of all of our sports coverage, including more original Chiefs and Royals content than you can find anywhere else. You can find that link on our website or just reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and I will send it along. I appreciate all of you uh, who've listened, offered great feedback, and especially, no offense to those who haven't, but especially appreciate uh, those of you who've written in asking for the subscription link. Your support means everything to me and more importantly to the people I work with, so thank you. Okay, guys, the Royals, we are 17 games in, so basically like 10% of the season. And, you know, we all know there's a risk of overreacting to things right now. And a lot of you probably know I'm a big believer in, you know, sort of letting things play out before making these big declarations. But I also believe that we have not seen the best of the Royals this year or the worst. Right. Um, I believe they will have a seven game or so win streak at some point. And they will look unbeatable, right? Like their starters will be going six or seven and the bullpen lines up and the bats heat up and you're going to think they can sweep the Dodgers. You know what I mean? Um, I also believe at some point they will have a six game or so losing streak. They're going to be striking out too much. They're going to be making mistakes at the wrong time. They're not going to get the clutch hit they need. Maybe an injury or two piles up and you're going to think it's 2012 again. You know what I mean? So Anyway, but the, the, this is a little bit off-brand for me um, and how I usually think about baseball teams and baseball seasons. But I think we've seen the gist of what the 2021 Royals will be. I think we've seen that in these 17 games. And I don't mean to say that they'll finish the season, um, you know, in first place at the AL Central. Uh, but I think we've seen so far is like it's a fair representation of what they will be over the last 145 games. And what I mean is that I think the rotation will usually be good, but they will also have stretches that will make you wonder. And, you know, what I mean is like the bullpen will look different from night to night, but over the course of the season, it's going to prove to be a strength. The bats, I think they're going to be a little bit streaky uh, and they're going to rely more on situational success than you might like, but they're also going to be able to bunch some stuff together and get going. So, you know, really like, I think we can filter this down to the three game series against the Rays. You know, because even in those two games that the Royals lost, they did some good stuff. You know, like Danny Duffy pitched really well on Monday. Carlos Santana had four hits in those two losses. You know, you, you could see like some positives, but like none of it mattered because they played defense like 
donkeys. <laughs> like they were terrible. Uh, four errors and three unearned runs in that first game. Uh, they made two more errors and couldn't close some makeable plays in the second game. And look, like this is a good baseball team. So I, I, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here. But when they don't do the basics like defense right, they're, they're just they're not talented enough to win. You know, especially against a team of just like savages like the Rays, like because those guys are efficient and the Royals aren't going to win a lot of games when the other side is more efficient this year. But then the game on Wednesday and and look, they still weren't great um, defensively on Wednesday. You know, Perez and Stama had, you know, these throwing errors. Hunter Dozier bobbled a ball in the corner that made it a little bit easier for the Rays to score from first on a double. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't exactly like a Tom Amansky clinic out there, you know. Um, Sal Perez, like he needs to either sprint out of the box or recognize that the ball didn't go over the wall too, right? Like, I mean, there, there were some basic errors. But anyway, besides that, they also made some plays in the field and they played with this relentlessness that I think will define their best moments. They, you know, they failed in a couple spots. They got a man on third with no outs. And then Santana picks them up with with a two-run home run, you know, with two outs. Like, that that was a big moment. Uh, they pinch run draw Dyson to take advantage, you know, close, slower, uh, sorry, a closer, uh, slow to the plate um, in Castillo. And a catcher in Zanino, who, who he's just not throwing anybody out. And then they get Dyson home on a safety squeeze by Nicky Lopez, you know. And and Nicky, like, by the way, just really does seem to be embracing what he said, you know, which is like, you know, embracing what he is instead of chasing what he's not. Um, you know, and then Sal Perez is the closer again. Like, that's the kind of thing that this team is going to have to do to win. And, you know, Dayton Moore has always been with the conventional wisdom, you know, about waiting 40 games to start to decide what a team is. But I think we're starting to see it with this group. They, they, they play with an obvious energy and belief. They can win games from different spots of the lineup um, and with different skill sets on different days. They and they have this, you know, kind of a low enough ceiling that it's going to be really hard to beat good teams without doing something extra, you know, like clean defense, taking extra bases, whatever. But I think we're also seeing that the front office, and it's not just Dayton, we always shorthand, you know, regardless of the sport, we always shorthand front office to just the GM, but it's it's not just the GM, but they, they made a lot of really solid moves, is what it looks like right now. It looks like they killed the offseason and, and strengthened the team up and down pitching staff and 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 the hitter so look the whole thing could collapse <laughs> right uh, like i think we all understand that but um i also think there's enough like organizational depth you know particularly with pitchers and you know enough guys who aren't quite yet performing and here i'm thinking mostly about benintendi dozier and keller i'm thinking about those three the most they're they're not performing this team is still in first place you know so i th- there's enough here to believe in you know what i mean um or at least enough to stay interested in and i think this could be a really fun baseball summer you know and i think capacity of Kauffman stadium is going to increase soon too um these are all good things Okay, before we move on to the rest of the show, the podcast is free, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to ask you one more time to join us behind the paywall. We work hard to bring you information and perspectives you can't get in other places. We have the most journalists working the Chiefs beat, the most combined experience around the team, the most perspectives. Please help support us. Give the Sports Pass a try. Again, you can join for a dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. You can find those links online or reach out to me, Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and I will send them along. Okay, quick break, and then we are back with some questions. If you want to participate in next week's show, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone, call anytime, 816 234 
4365 or as the great reader Michael points out, 816-BAG-IDLE. Yeah, your article today in Sunday's paper about politics and sports is is a good article. When I go to church, I don't want to hear about politics because I hear it all all week long. When I go to a ball game, I don't want to hear about politics. I, I go to see a ball game. We, politics isn't everything, but uh, I think that's what people are upset about. You pay a high price to go to a ball game, and then you have uh, high price players. Uh, throwing politics in. That's where I think the the politics, the players are wrong. Look, no disrespect here, but you know how I know how we've let America become over politicized. It's well, I guess there's a lot of ways, uh, but one is right here because I, I wrote a column like acknowledging and attempting to explain how sports and politics have always been entwined and, you know, about how that relationship is changing. And it's a column that takes like zero political stances because I know I've said this before, but I genuinely hope that each of you is less interested in my politics than I am in yours. So I, I write this and, and the response is largely about how like politics should be kept out of sports or, you know, these grand and passionate defenses of like specific political stances. And look, I, I wanted to include this specific question for a specific reason, too, which is that, you know, the, the message in the question here is one that I think most of us probably agree with. Right. Like we don't want politics in the games we watch. Right. Like I feel like that. Uh, maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I think most of you probably do. So anyway, my, my response to that is like they're not right. Like politics are not in the games that we watch. Um, you know, like think of exceptions that prove the rule. You know, the NBA postponed some playoff games last summer, um, you know, before the Chiefs Texans season opener last fall. There was, you know, relatively short video and, you know, the players standing on the field together. But, you know, again, these are exceptions that prove the rule. And, you know, besides, I point out that the Chiefs Texans thing happened before the actual game. You know, like once we had kickoff and, you know, the Texans got busy begging the Chiefs to kill them underneath, there was no politics. You know, I don't think I've ever seen a political campaign ad at a stadium. You know, I guess my point here is that if you and I want a politics-free experience watching sports, then all we have to do is turn the game on, right? But, you know, part of my, like, weird job is to help you understand the teams and the leagues that you care about just a little bit better. And I always assume that you have a real job that prevents you from obsessing over these things. So that's where I come in and try to provide some context to the, you know, the keep sports out of politics crowd. Because it's just they've never been out of politics and politics have never been out of sports, uh, you know. And, and I think that with few exceptions, you know, politics are still very much separate from the games we watch. Right. They're more involved sort of behind the scenes with the leagues and the teams. And, and, you know, it's and that's always been a heavy influence, you know, on that layer, just a little bit deeper than the one we see, you know, every night on our TVs. And if you don't care about that or don't want to think about it, cool, awesome, I get it. But it's always been there, you know, and it always will. 
And, you know, complaining about it is just it's a little bit like complaining about the color of the sky. You know, it's always been and it always will be nothing we can do about it. So anyway, okay, you know, we can't get through a week without like at least passively dunking on ballets or MLB stupid blackout restrictions. So here's a good one. Hey, Sam, it's Matt. I grew up in Overland Park, but I'm calling you from Victoria in British Columbia, Canada. Um, I uh, I don't have a question for Mellinger Minutes for your ears, but more of an anecdote that uh, I thought might be interesting uh, with all the blackout problems that everybody's ha- having in Kansas City. Um, I'm lucky living in Canada that I basically get to see all the Royals games because I don't have to worry about blackouts except when the Royals play the Blue Jays like they are this weekend. I live about 2,000 miles from Toronto, uh, but because I'm in Canada, I can't watch the Royals play the Blue Jays. Um, I live a very short ferry ride from Seattle, but there's no problem watching any Mariners game. Anyway, I just thought uh, maybe the folks in Kansas City would find, find that interesting, and uh, I know I'm more fortunate than them and that I get to watch virtually all the Royals games, but uh, we have some weird blackout rules here too. So I uh, just thought I'd share that with you and have a good day. Uh, love you, Matt. And uh, I appreciate you calling in, but I'm not sure I'd say the listeners will get a kick out of that. Um, if you know what I mean? Like, it, it seems like every week I have some version of like the worst part of this is, you know, which since I do that every week, it means there's not actually a worst part. Right. But, you know, more like a case of a lot of really crappy parts but the one that's hitting me at the moment is that like look like technology changes and it's always going to create these sort of awkward gaps between one solution and the next or one platform and the next you know but this awkward gap that we're in right now should have been cleared at least a few years ago because we we can all see the technology exists and you know has for a long time and we can see the solution too you know which is that People should have the option of adding baseball to whatever platform they use to watch TV, the same as they have the option of adding, you know, Netflix or HBO Max or whatever. And, you know, baseball has this like gorgeous streaming platform that should be seen as the best in class, which it is. But, you know, instead, the commissioner's office is sticking with these just archaic blackout restrictions that haven't made sense for years and are actively harming the business and fan interest. They're they're seeing this relationship as business first, you know, as RSN first, as Bally's first. And <laughs> the world has changed a whole bunch in the last five, 10 years, and it's consumer first. And <laughs> it's just, God, it's frustrating to see MLB be so slow on this when they were so ahead of the game in developing that that really terrific streaming app that I hope people can can see soon. So anyway, like I appreciate easy column material as much as the next guy. You know what I mean? But I just cannot wait until this is solved, which, you know, for the record, I think will be by next spring. So, okay, uh, let's get at least one sports question in, right, guys? Hey, Sam, this is Brian from Iowa. Got a question on the draft. If you could wave your magic wand and have one player there at 31 either still sitting there or maybe even trading up slightly that is that is a possibility, who would that one player be that you would love to see the Chiefs draft. Thanks. Bye. Like this may or may not be ambitious, you know, and the Chiefs would have to like the interviews and research they've done. But I keep thinking about Alex Leatherwood, um, the the left tackle from Alabama. 
the people who spend more time on this than I do describe him as just, you know, a natural left tackle, right? Like the athleticism and the feet that are required for that island. And, you know, there's some ceiling here too, like some stuff that he needs to improve. But I think the Chiefs could be a team that can allow him to do that. You know, you draft him and you sign, whether it's Alejandro Villanueva or, you know, Russell Okung, something like that as of the bridge. And you go from there. And then, you know, by the end of the season, you've either got this veteran as a solid, you know, if unspectacular left tackle, or you've got Leatherwood because he progressed the way that you wanted. Um, or maybe you even go get like Eric Fisher, you know, if, if he recovers from his torn Achilles and, and wants to play again. So, um, you know, left tackle remains, you guys know this, like by far the biggest hole on the roster. And, you know, I get, you know, the edge rusher thing um, and that, you know, the 31st pick is probably your best chance to fill that hole. And, you know, the best tackles are going to be gone by 31. But, you know, I just always operate like when in doubt, protect Mahomes, right? When in doubt, do what's best for that guy. And, you know, the Chiefs have a chance to throw numbers at this problem and, and you know, hopefully find a good solution. Uh, I, I've seen some mocks. A lot of them seem to have an edge rusher, but I just... Again, I just explain why I disagree with that. And, um, you know, I, I've seen some that have the Chiefs taking a receiver up high, and I get that too. Um, you know, that's a position they could upgrade. But, you know, for me, there's just, there's always good receivers available later in drafts, you know, and, and that should be especially true this year with a deep class of guys. So, anyway, that's how I'm looking at this thing and really interested to see how this goes uh, this week. So, okay, one more question. And I guess we now have a trend of you guys calling me out on stuff for this show because. Okay, here we go, Mac. Hi, Sam. This is Mac in Overland Park. Uh, love the minutes and uh, both print and uh, pod. But something is disconcerting to me when I listen to the podcast. You're back after this, or we'll be back in a minute. What are you doing? It's, I mean, do you go somewhere? It's not long enough for me to go get a potty break or a sandwich or for you to go out with smoke or something. So why are those in there? Thanks. Uh, Mac, uh, <laughs> busted. Um, you've got me dead to rights here. Um, I do nothing, right? <laughs> like, it's it's all a charade. Like, look, the, the, press, <laughs> the press conference answer here is that, you know, we have like three distinct blocks of the show, right? Like the lead, then these questions, and then, you know, the bonus section with the audio or conversation or whatever. And the breaks, you know, with the elevator music or whatever, just kind of help draw the lines clearly, right? Like, that's the answer we'd give in a press conference, uh, you know, and it's not entirely, it's not untrue. But, you know, really, like, we're all friends here, right? Um, I'm always honest with you guys. So when I say, like, quick break here and then we'll be back or whatever it is I say, like, what I'm <laughs> what I'm really saying is, like, hey, Savannah, like, I'm done here. And I know I've thrown, like, a gajillion pieces of audio at you and I have no idea how you keep it all straight. But here's the end of one more. So thanks in advance. That's what that is, guys. Um, there, there, there's no secrets between us. So anyway, um, now that Mac has like exposed me, um, you know, this is me saying quick break and then we'll be back. So uh, which now you guys know just means Savannah, do your magic. Okay, guys, I know what we did last week was, you know, basically like this Greg Holland appreciation, right? And and I'm not trying to make this a weekly thing here, but 
Uh, I feel like this third section is going to be a Tyron Matthew appreciation. You probably know I've always liked this guy. Had the chance to go to New Orleans to to see him and and people that that are close to him before he played his first game with the Chiefs and just seeing the work he does there, the way he treats people, the way people treat him. You you can just tell like there's there's something different uh, about this guy. And I love the way he talks about football, you know, um, the study that goes into it and, you know, the decisions that have to be made. It's really something, you know, he can do whatever the heck he wants after football. And uh, if I were him, I'd think long and hard about living on a beach somewhere full time. But, you know, he would make a great broadcaster, a much better coach. I mean, he he could have a huge impact in the world um, in, in a lot of different ways. And I think like when this part of the Chiefs franchise history is told, I mean, obviously, it's going gonna, it's gonna to revolve around Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, right? Like, we all get that. Uh, I think there will be a strong case that Matthew is the single most important player they have during this time after Mahomes. Um, I really do believe that. And, and I'm bringing this up in part because I think all the stuff that goes into that, you know, you could hear it in the 10 minutes or so he spent on a call with some of us this week. Like, here's his answer to the first question. And this came from, from Pete Sweeney. And Pete was asking, you know, like just basically like what goals uh, Tyron had for the 2021 season. Listen to this. To be honest, I have no personal goals. Um, I think all my goals really come from, you know, team, family, you know, type things. Um, I, I think the biggest thing for me this year is how can I continue to lift the guys around me? You know, um, that's like the only thing that really matters to me is how can I get people to, you know, communicate and play and study and, you know, just just be the best of themselves. That stuff is real, by the way. You know, I mean, the, the stories you hear about the way he goes out of his way to help the guys around him, the way the guys like whether it's Charverius Ward or Juan Thornhill, just the way these guys talk about him. Uh, I'm just I'm telling you, this stuff is real. And, you know, you can ask Tyron like virtually any football question. And, you know, unless it's like really specific and about something specific about himself, he's usually going to find a way to talk about his teammates. And you know, there's this running joke uh, they have in the locker room where, you know, Tyron wants everybody in the D-backs room to, you know, to be driving a Rolls Royce. Um, and, but he really believes that, you know, and the way that he treats those guys, you know, makes that clear. Um, it, look, here's another example of what I mean with this. And and this is Tyron explaining like some of how he goes about leading because it's easy to talk about, right? Like, oh, I'm a leader and whatever. But, you know, it's more difficult to really do. And anyway, here's his explanation of how he does it. Well, I think, you know, obviously it's, you know, obviously me kind of taking responsibility, but, you know, I think anytime you, you have time to kind of watch tape, you know, you try not to just focus on your play, you're right. You want to look at guys around you and, you know, if you're able to kind of give guys a nugget or, or kind of give guys something that they can hang their hat on going forward, um, I, I think that's the kind of position I'm in and that's really what I want to do. Um, you know, I've had, I had two great years here, you know, all pro seasons, whatever, you know, people want to call it, but until, until other guys in my room, start making a pro bowl and all pro and then i'll probably be satisfied that's simple stuff right like or at least it sounds simple but i'm telling you and you guys know this there's just not a lot of guys in the nfl who live like that you know i mean that is a brutal business and guys want to get their money and get their shine you know while they can and i don't know Tyron's obviously different. I don't know if this, you know, his perspective, if it requires, you know, a certain worldview, you know what I mean? Like if, if this is all armchair stuff here, but like, I wonder if like the experience Tyron had of like football being sort of, you know, taken away from him at various points, you know, whether getting kicked out at LSU um, or the injuries that he's had. Uh, I don't know exactly where this comes from. So I, you know, but I think Tyron would probably credit his coaches and his family 
Um, but I know that's got to be something different about him too. You know what I mean? Like if he was just like a lawyer or a teacher or whatever, like I just think he'd still be the one trying to help his colleagues, you know? Um, but okay, so this last clip we're going to play for you here, uh, I think might be the most telling. It was it was a question about the Super Bowl, and the question was basically about, you know, how much Tyron thought the Chiefs were deflated from, you know, Britt Reed's tragic mistake, that car wreck a few days before the game. And, you know, Tyron sidestepped that part of it, you know, said he's praying for everybody involved. And by the way, I think that the Chiefs have all the Chiefs, coaches, players, everybody has been coached up on that, um, how to answer questions about that. But after he got past that part, I, I, I thought he was really revealing in how he talked about the Super Bowl. Okay, here it is. You know, I thought really, you know, it was just, you know, the day that we didn't really play our best. You know, I don't think anything went our way. Um, and we got to find a way to kind of, you know, dig ourselves out of that kind of hole. You know, when we can't get anything going, we can't make a play. Um, I think the biggest thing I took from that game is just really composure. You know, when things aren't going your way or you can't make a play, um, just try your best to, to remain calm, keep your composure. Um, I probably say that's, that's really what I see when I look back you know, on that night. So if you remember in that game, you know, there were some shaky calls and, you know, most of them went against the Chiefs and most of those went against the Chiefs secondary. And, you know, Tyron takes that stuff personally. You know, whenever anything happens to a Chiefs defensive back, Tyron is going to feel like it happened to him. And he was a bit out of character in that game, too. You know, I mean, I know there's a lot going on, but if you think about it, he was, you know, yelling and gesturing at the officials a lot more than usual. And, you know, then the thing with Brady happened. I know that was more Brady than Tyron, but, you know, the point here is that, like, you just don't often see Tyron Matthew involved in that kind of thing during games. Um, you know, he was a little bit out of control, and he's always in control. That was different. So, anyway, I just thought that was some, you know, big boy stuff there, uh, like how, how he explained that, but talking about the composure, because, you know, he, he could talk about the officials, and I think most Chiefs fans would have had his back, you know, and, you know, he could just say it wasn't their night and whatever and leave it at that, but, you know, what he's choosing to take from this game and emphasize here publicly is not to dwell on or whine about any calls or, you know, reference how the offense couldn't get a single touchdown. Um, but he is like steady focused on what he failed on, you know, the specific stuff that he can get better at. And, you know, this is like a literal all decade player. You know what I mean? Like a guy who's a Super Bowl champion and a real Hall of Fame path exists for him. And he is steady focused on the stuff that he can control and needs to improve. And, you know, even if it's something that, that he's shown himself capable of doing, right? And and even if it's buried to most under like this layer of stuff that's out of his control, it's just, I just think that attitude, you know, the perspective, it's just so productive, you know what I mean? And something that a lot of us, and, and I'm very much including myself here, but it's something that a lot of us could learn from. You know, um, so anyway, I, I appreciate that. And I just wanted to highlight that here. So, OK, uh, that's the show. I appreciate each of you for listening. I hope we're worth your time. Thanks to everybody who called in, even those we couldn't get to. Big thanks to Savannah Smith, as always, for putting this together. And the biggest thanks to you guys for listening, for, for giving us your time and letting us be a small part of your life. Let's do it again next week. I am sure we will overreact to whatever the Chiefs do with their first pick and talk about, you know, Sal Perez's six grand slams or whatever he's going to do now. So, okay, uh, have a great weekend, guys. Be kind. Be kind.